Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man, in his time, plays many parts. I sat down with the artistic director of Actors Theatre in Chiller Park, Philip Hickman, to talk about their season this year, the role of an artistic director, the different roles people can play as an artistic director, how to run a company of that size, and the importance of accessible art. After the interview, I've included a bit of comedy for you. Eric Tate is a comedian and musician who has a big show coming up at the Garden Theatre in July. I encourage you to check it out. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by Art Makes Columbus, Columbus Makes Art, featuring stories about our city's incredible artists, stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com, the resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city. Enjoy the interview and the comedy. Sitting down here with Philip Hickman, the artistic director of Actors Theater. You may know them as Shakespeare in the Park down at Schiller Park. Philip, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Actors Theater, you guys produce, what, two, three productions a year? We've actually gone to four productions a year uh, the last few seasons. Okay. Over the course of time, Actors Theater has done as few as one play during the summer at the very beginning. Okay. To uh, some kind of what I'm assuming were crazy times uh, about 20 years ago where they were doing half a dozen shows uh, per summer. Okay. Well, I imagine times with more funding as well. (laughs) Times with more funding, yes. This is the 36th season, and what's the schedule look like this year? Well, the schedule this year is opening with Julius Caesar, uh, followed by an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Then we're doing a little uh, smash hit comedy called The Emperor of the Moon uh, by Afra Ben. And we're finishing the season with Shakespeare's Tempest. Got it. And The Emperor of the Moon, that's a piece from the early 19th century? Uh, earlier than that. It's okay. 1687. Oh, excuse me. Got, I'm only a couple of centuries off. Tell us more about that piece. Well, The Emperor of the Moon was a big hit in the farce comedy scene uh, during the in the Restoration period, uh, it's a it's a, it's a farce. It's got some kind of classic uh, farcical tropes with the crazy doctor and uh, his overbearing ways toward his uh, young relatives. But it's actually a piece of science fiction. Okay. And uh, finding a, a sci-fi farce was kind of right up my alley. And I was like, we need to do this in the park. Got it. And so you guys primarily do works that are in the public domain. Works. Primarily. So either so Shakespeare, 
Moliere or works that are what over 150 years old? What's the sort of date on that? The cutoff is roughly a hundred years. Okay. There are some things from the very early 20th century that are in the public domain, but for the most part, uh, we're looking at the 19th century and earlier. Okay. And how do you choose your season? Well, I go about choosing the season by, it's a philosophical question for me. Okay. Because we perform for free in a public space. Mm Mm-hmm. And because we perform for free in a public space, I think that we're inherently in a relationship with the community. Mm -hmm. And so what I like to do is look at the news, look at what's going on uh, around town, around the country. What are we concerned with? What are we interested in um, as a community? And from there, start to think about what plays, talk about those themes, maybe in different ways. And then... And then, start selecting shows. Right. And then so what what sort of informed the season this year? Well, I think the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk globally, nationally, locally about what it means to have uh, power, what it means to be involved in structures of power, either being subject to them or running them. Okay. And so... A lot of the, all of the plays this year discuss that theme of uh, how do we relate to uh, structures of power. Okay. Are you translating that then to the actors as well? We're recording this at the beginning of May, so some of the productions aren't in production, or excuse me, aren't in rehearsal at this point. How do you translate that to the actors slash director? Are you sort of saying, here's why I chose this, please take it, take, take from that what you will? I do like to talk about that with the directors. Okay. But I think if everyone is trying to go off of a one sentence encapsulation that I give them, then uh, we probably end up with a relatively dull season. Gotcha. So I like to take each piece on its own and that way we can enjoy the, the romance of Pride and Prejudice as romance and we can enjoy the comedy of Emperor of the Moon as comedy. Right. And we don't need to be worried about an overarching theme, but we can take the season as a whole and say, okay, these are different ways of talking about very similar topics. Got it. Talk a little bit about the experience of going to a show at the park. What time does it start? Do you Do I bring a blanket? Do I bring food? Can I drink wine? What is that experience down at Schiller Park in German Village? Oh, the weather is always perfect in German Village. It is 75 degrees year-round. Uh, it never rains. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's None beautiful. None of these things are true. It is beautiful most of the time. No, it's, uh, Schiller's a wonderful park. It's a, we've got a great amphitheater set up. The very base form of showing up at the park would be to show up Bring a blanket. We've got ample ground uh, in front of the stage for people to lay out blankets. We like to make sure that there's plenty of room for people to picnic. You can bring food. You can bring uh, beverages of choice. Mm -hmm. We certainly uh, don't uh, have the manpower to enforce the city's very well-thought-out liquor laws. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, we would hope that people would take that into consideration. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not your role to police police the picnic blankets. Well, certainly not. Certainly not. Actors have been known to take food from people. Okay. uh, But we'll see about that. Gotcha. Uh. (laughs) And so what time do the shows start each night? 
Every night, the shows start at 8. On Friday nights and Sunday nights, we have some of our students performing a little bit earlier than that. Okay. Uh, either 7 o'clock or 7.30, depending on the needs of the show. But we run classes and camps for kids and adults all summer long. And part of the culmination of that process is performing in front of an audience. So uh, we do have that going on on Fridays and Sundays. Okay. But the, the main productions begin at 8. People sometimes gather at the park as early as I've showed up at 6 o'clock and people were already picnicking. Okay. But the shows begin at 8. They're usually done around 10, 10, 15. Got it. Uh, there's, there's always a 15-minute intermission. Okay. And we are located right next to the Schiller Park Recreation Center, so there are facilities nearby for, for any of those needs. There's a snack bar. Mm -hmm. in the park okay where you can get ice cream and coffee sodas uh, sandwiches and things like that this year we're going to have uh we're working with a couple of restaurants to bring food trucks to the park for the first time so that people might be able to enjoy schmitz other places whose food they would enjoy fantastic you can get information on all the shows the classes the dates the times the signups at the actress that's theater spelled in the british way re how do you guys get your funding because you're you're free you're performing at a, at a free city facility you obviously have to pay to keep the lights on you guys have a do have a year-round staff mm-hmm. where does that funding come from Well, like a lot of other arts organizations, we get a lot of money from granting organizations. Um, The Greater Columbus Arts Council, uh, the Ohio Arts Council, the Columbus Foundation have all been very supportive of what we do. We work with a couple of other organizations to fund specific projects. Mm -hmm. But most of our funding, uh, between 60% and two-thirds of our funding, comes either from supporter donations so okay. those are people who love that we're there and just want to give us a check every year okay or from audience uh, donations great so every night we ask the audience to donate to us each one of our productions in the end in costs about ten dollars and a quarter per person that we're performing for okay and so when you come to see free theater the free theater has cost someone something. Right. So if you can donate, we love to have that. So it might be nice for you to toss in 10 or 20 bucks into the basket as it's coming around. Absolutely. If you, if you have the means, Mm -hmm. because there were plenty of times when I went to the park when I was younger that I couldn't afford to donate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now that I can afford to donate, I think that I like to think that my donation helps somebody else be able to see this for free. Right. Absolutely. As artistic director of Actors Theater, what is your role? It's it's picking the shows, first of all. What sort of other checkboxes month to month do you have to check off and say, I've, I've done my job? Well, the role of artistic director in a lot of ways is how the company interfaces with the community. Okay. And so a lot of what I'm doing is working and doing podcast interviews coming and doing podcast (laughs) interviews uh, as well as looking at the overall direction of the company whether it's how we're working with schools how is our education program working how are we working with local businesses Mm -hmm. in in order to improve the overall quality of spending time in german village Mm -hmm. and what does our 
advertising look like? What is our, what is our visibility profile? Mm -hmm. And so largely it's a, I would say most of what being the artistic director at Actors Theater is, is being the, the center point of the conversation we have with Columbus. Okay. So how did you get this role this or how did you start at Actors Theater? I want sort of your, your background. Sure. I ran a theater company with uh, my good friend Adam Simon uh, many, many years ago where we were producing entirely locally written new works. Okay. What was that company called? That company was called Foolish Bison. Okay. And we ran Foolish Bison for about five years. We decided to shut it down because, strangely enough, there's not a lot of market for locally written new works. Well, there's not a whole lot of locally written new works, right? Therein lies the problem. Okay. The market is not necessarily the audience, but the, you know, the work to produce. Exactly. So about, it would have been uh, 2010, Mm -hmm. uh, we started working as artists with other companies. Okay. And so I started acting at Actors Theater in 2010 in the production of Treasure Island. Okay. And really enjoyed the process, worked with uh, John Kuhn, who was the Mm -hmm. uh, prior artistic director prior to me. Uh, So John and I worked together in that. We got started talking about bringing what we were calling modern classics or new classics to the stage. And I put together a script for Robin Hood, which we ended up producing in 2012. Okay. Uh, In the meantime, I continued acting with the company. Uh, Robin Hood was very successful. So John and I continued to work together, and he asked me to be his uh, associate artistic director. So I worked with him for a couple of years learning how he did his job and what the what the different primary roles were right. that he had. And unfortunately... Um, he unexpectedly passed away. He unexpectedly yeah. passed away. Here's the part of the episode where I do my full disclosure. I had done a couple of works at Actors Theater well before your time, probably in the 1996 season Mm -hmm. as an actor. John and I and his wife had done some work together probably around like the year 2000 as well. So um, it was a huge loss to the community. Again, super unexpected. Hats off to him and the work that he was able to both do in Columbus and bring to Columbus. And so you're trying to fill those shoes now. Yeah. How's it going? Well, one thing that I always loved about John was that John encouraged you to be your own artist. Mm -hmm. And so while I do feel a a pressure to live up to uh, who John was and what John did, Mm -hmm. at the same time, we came to theater from different directions. We have uh, different ideas and different thoughts. Mm -hmm. And so it's been... Well, and he is a very at least outwardly, the perception of him is of a very classically trained, patriarchal almost figure. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the guy who walks into a room and gets shit done. Right. And you, again, from outward appearances, you are much more a theater kid grown up, you know, who is much more interested in the process and also getting it done. But your way of getting it done, it seems to me, is a lot more centered around the art and not necessarily the logistics of it. 
Sure. That's the great thing about having a company is that Adam Simon, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. is great at logistics. Okay. And he actually had been working behind the scenes at Actors Theater for the last couple of years. Oh, and of, so you have John's him. tenure. You're working with him as well. Yep. Great. And so logistically, uh, a lot of the same structure that was being put in place uh, over the last couple of years of John's tenure is the same structure that we've got now. And so that's where we, that's where there's been a lot of continuity mm-hmm. is the structure of the company. Part of the idea of building that structure uh, when we were installing it, the idea was that you could bring new people in and mm-hmm. it wouldn't crash the company. This is an organism that that can live on its own. It's exactly. Bigger than any one person. Exactly. Back Back in my day, there were musicals uh, mm-hmm. that the company would do, basically one big musical a season. Yep. Uh, you guys don't do that anymore. I will sort of insert here my personal knowledge on it. The At the time, the company was charging money for people to see it. Yes. Someone from the city or some angry resident said, hey, this is a public park. You can't charge a ticket fee for somebody to come here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that sort of took away the funding for the musicals. Is that right? That's one of the versions of it that I've heard. Oh, okay. So I've heard kind of multiple thoughts on that. One was that uh, there was a lot of pushback because they were roping off an area. Mm -hmm. And so that roped off area might have been the problem. Okay. I do know that it's it's not legal to charge money for admission to something in a public park unless it's a festival of some kind that's designated that way. Okay. Like the, it's licensed specifically. Exactly. Gotcha. And so somewhere between those two things uh, lies the truth. In addition to the fact that even when charging money, you still need an extraordinary amount of money in order to produce a musical. Right. And, and so, so what are the, for people that don't know, what are sort of the costs behind that? I mean, there's a reason why you guys are doing work in the public domain. You don't have to pay to do it. Right. And actually, to clarify on that point, we've, we usually do one or two shows a year that are not public domain. Oh, okay. Uh, for instance, this adaptation of Pride and Prejudice is not public domain. Oh, okay. Uh, it was adapted by John Jory, who was the artistic director at Actors Theatre of Louisville. Okay. And so it's not so much about public domain, strictly speaking, as it is about the fact that royalties for a musical on average cost about four times as much as they do for an equivalent play. Okay. And so, you know, something that was uh, done in the last 15 years or so, you're going to pay, you know, say $100 a night to do the play, but it might cost as much as four or $500 a night to perform that musical. And those are, those are sort of the numbers that you're working with. So when you do like three productions a week, for mm-hmm. three weeks, we're talking about, well, let's make it easy. When you're doing four productions a week, for three weeks, you're talking about $3,000. Right. And that's in addition to, you guys are a semi-professional company, mm-hmm. so you're paying a little bit of money to right. the actors. There's then, oh, and we're not even talking about paying for working musicians to come exactly. in. Exactly. Exactly. 
I think you've joked to me in the past that, you know, uh, a working actor is willing to take whatever you're able to give them. A working musician has a rate. They're going to come in and say, yeah. okay, this is how much it costs for me to come and play. Yeah. Usually, part of the issue that we run into is just in terms of fiscal responsibility. Okay. A musical, the upfront costs of a musical are roughly double or even more than uh, than just doing a play. Mm-hmm. In addition to having more logistical problems, like how do you work the sound for right. the musicians? Right. How do you make sure that uh, everyone is properly mic'd on the stage so that we're getting the best quality of, of uh, sound transfer? Well, and you're dealing with the logistics of being outside as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so it's, in a lot of ways, it's a gamble. And so it's the, it's kind of the question of, do I have the money in my pocket to cover this loss Mm -hmm. if we get rained out for multiple nights for three weeks running? Because it's not, even if you don't do the show, you don't go to the royalty company and say, Hey, we couldn't do it. Right. And they say, Oh, don't worry about it. Keep your money. Because there's also this whole process of, if you guys are producing it, other people aren't producing it, Mm -hmm. at least in. Is there like a geographic area? How do they? It it depends on the company you're working with. There are okay. some different ways that that works. I've seen musicals get produced by multiple companies in the same city within a couple of weeks or a month of each other. So I'm not really sure how all of that works. Right. There is at least some sort of, you're the only person taking this over right now, mm-hmm. basically. Because those royalty companies have to pay themselves too. Right. And frankly, the creator of the work. Or the family of the creator of the work. I will say this, though. We have been... I like musicals. The first show I ever saw in the park was a musical. Mm -hmm. The first show I ever saw was 1776 in 1992 when I moved here from West Texas. And so that was my initial impression of Schiller Park. So Mm -hmm. I still have that image in my mind every time I... Frankly, every time I go to rehearsal, I have that image in my mind. Um the tree that I sat under is no longer there. Thank you, Thunderstorm. Okay. But I do believe that musicals are an essential part of what we can do. Okay. um, In the park. Now, is the question just being able to pay for it? Yeah. That's, that's the biggest, that's the biggest question. So if any uh, donors or patrons are absolutely, absolutely. I mean, is it something where, cause you don't want to, you know, be a shill, for the money but if someone came and said hey we could give ten thousand dollars a year will you name it the xyz bank musical and Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have a problem with that as as long as they're not asserting some control over it yeah no and uh, i will say publicly um what i've said privately which is that there is a magic number okay uh, at which you can tell me one of the shows that we're going to do during the summer what's the magic number oh it's probably north of thirty thousand dollars i'm not cheap okay (laughs) so Um, if i wanted to see titus andronicus one of shakespeare's lesser known works produced every year i just have to get thirty thousand dollars together i think we could work something out i bet you do titus for less than 30. Oh, probably, probably. <laughs> it's a, there's a, a great production of Titus done not that long ago, so it's hasn't been on my thought calendar. The one that I was in, 
Uh, or has it been done more recently than that? Somebody, somebody else did it more recently. I oh, not actors. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Again, back to the season that I was an actor back in 1996 or 97, mm-hmm. I played young Lucius in Titus Andronicus. There's my excuse to talk about myself. <laughs> we did a production of uh, The Winter's Tale mm-hmm. last year that was infused with uh, mountain and traditional American music. Mm-hmm. And so I think there were about, if I recall correctly, there were about 30 songs uh, in that show uh-huh. um, played live by the actors uh, playing guitars and bass and washboard and all that kind of thing. Um, so you guys are looking for sort of new experiences in addition. You're not necessarily updating Shakespearean work because I think that, yes, that's a, a valuable thing to happen. I think maybe sometimes mm-hmm. it happens too much, but you're looking for new ways to present the work. Yeah, yeah new ways to, to present the work but also ways to bring music organically into the productions that we're doing. Mm-hmm. I think that music is kind of a vital means of communication. Absolutely. And so figuring out how and, and where we can do that in the budget that we have mm-hmm. is important to me. Um, the Emperor of the Moon, for instance, has, I think, three musical numbers in it okay. that are just native to it. but. It was, you know, written 150 years before there was anything that we would call a musical. Okay. Uh, in the in the sense that the characters are, you know, communicating their thoughts and plot narrative through song. Okay. Um, so this is prior to that, but it's still music that's built into the show and music that has a purpose in the show. And so it's... Not a musical, but it's it's in the neighborhood. It there, lives on the outskirts of Musicalville. There are musical elements to it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, again, you can get more information on everything that Phil and I discussed today in the show notes for this episode. Also at the Actors Theater, spelled the British way, dot org. Just to wrap up, talk about what the general philosophy behind Actors Theater is, why it's in Columbus, and give me your thoughts on that. Okay. Well, Actors Theatre was originally started in order to offer free entertainment to neighbors. Okay. From local residents to their neighbors. It's always been at Schiller Park, right? It's always been at Schiller Park. Okay. And that message has continued, and I think over the years that message has grown with the company. Mm-hmm. And the fact is that we live in a community that has a large spectrum of uh, socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a very diverse community. Mm -hmm. And what we put on stage, I think, needs to represent that community. Okay. Because we have people come through the park all the time and watch rehearsals. Yeah. And so I think about the kids that come and watch rehearsals mm-hmm. almost as much as I think about our audiences. Okay. Because our audiences come and they know Shakespeare. They're excited to see Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. But the kids that are going through the park that are, you know, maybe going over to fish in the pond or maybe they're just skateboarding through, uh, through the bike path. Right. They don't have the same interaction with Shakespeare. But when I see those kids stop 
and watch 10 or 15, 20 minutes of rehearsal Mm -hmm. and then start to talk to the actors about what's going on and ask them about the narrative of the show. Mm -hmm. I know that we've done part of our job, part of our job being to invite them in, to invite them to participate, Mm -hmm. not because we're some expert other that comes in and and dictates condescends to to the community. Right. But instead, I think kids need to see themselves on stage. They need to have an aspirational view of seeing themselves in large and important roles in life. Mm -hmm. Maybe with sword fights. (laughs) And pratfalls. And pratfalls. Great. Philip, thank you so much for your time. Glad to be here. Okay, so I'm going to tell you one more story, and then I I will uh, leave. Um, uh, This is... uh, uh, two years ago, uh, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. And while I was in Atlanta, Georgia, I accidentally walked into a strip club. <laughs> Here's the story. I travel around doing comedy uh, and things like that, and it's fun. Um, and I'm also a, a bit of an amateur magician. And so what I do is whenever I'm in a strange city, I always like to go visit the local magic shop just to hang out with other guys who got beat up a lot in high school. <laughs> so I was in Atlanta, and I was, uh, I, I was like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go find them, because I was there for a gig. So I wanted to go uh, find the, the shop and hang out. So I whip out my iPhone, and I Google Magic Shop. Uh, at the time, it was like, I was like, I had an iPhone, I'm a baller. Uh, but it was before, it was the one before Siri came out, so it's a smartphone, it's a smartphone, but if it took the SATs, it'd get like a 12. Um, so I Google Magic Shop, and up comes a, a place called Magic City. And I get really excited, because Magic City is four blocks from my hotel, it is two o'clock in the afternoon. I can walk there, it's gonna, oh, yeah! Uh, so I go out of my hotel, and I start walking through downtown Atlanta. Have any of you ever been to downtown Atlanta before? couple of you. Okay, so you can back me up on this. Downtown Atlanta is a shithole. It's awful. It's hor- It's hot. It's wet. It's the reason people don't like the word moist. Downtown Atlanta is, is hobos fighting dogs over used condoms. It's, uh, it makes Cleveland look amazing. Uh, so I'm walking through downtown Atlanta, trying not to get mugged, and I walk up to this big freestanding building. It's got, it says Magic City in old-timey, like, hoopy, swoopy letters. And I just am incrementally more excited. I am like, fuck yeah, I am Harry Potter. I have found the Hogwarts of Atlanta. Today is going to rock. <laughs> I walk in, and this huge dude the size of a telephone pole says, spread him. And then he frisks me, like, cop style. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to a magic shop before. <laughs> that is not normally how they greet you. So he says, you're cool, and then he shoves me through a beaded curtain, and the first thing I see is a woman in a state of undress dangling upside down by her toes from a stripper pole. And I'm like, ah, I know where I am. This is a strip club. I don't like strip clubs. I'm not a fan of them. They're weird. Like, I like naked women as much as the next dude, but I don't like them paying off college loans. Um, And this, by the way, is the second time I've ever been in a strip club my entire life. The first time, if you'll let me uh, digress, was when I was living in Canada. I I, I went to school in Canada. It was, I know, I'm a big deal. Um, 
I went to school up there, and a uh, buddy of mine turned 19, which is the drinking age. Everyone said, we were going to go to a strip club. I was like, I don't want to go. They're like, you don't have a choice. So we ended up going. We went to the Brass Rail, which is the big strip club there. Uh, we go and we sit down, and uh, the first stripper who came out was, and I'm not making this up, my girlfriend at the time, who I didn't know was a stripper. So the conversation afterwards was, you didn't say you're going to a strip club. You didn't say that you could pick up a stack of quarters without your hands. <laughs> End of relationship. <clears throat> so, uh, so I'm in, so I'm in Magic City, right? I'm, I'm, I'm already really uncomfortable because I realize it's a strip club. And then I look around and I see uh, the, the 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 clientele and the people who work there, I look, the, the dancer is black, and all of the patrons are black, and I realize the bouncer was black, and the bartender's black. I, I realize it's a black strip club. It's an all, it's, it caters to the African-American sect. It's not, it is an, it's, it's all black strip club. And I realize that, and then I also put together that I am like many of you, in that I'm white. And I am the kind of white uh, where I have streaks in my skin that softly glow under black light. <laughs> so I put together that I am the only white guy in an all-black strip club, and I'm glowing. Everybody sees me. I just... <clears throat> then an argument took place in my brain. And to understand this argument, you need to know two things about me. Is One, I am a coward. I am fundamentally a coward. I, my fight-or-flight response kicks in if the wind blows the wrong way. <laughs> The other thing you need to know about me is that I am a left-wing liberal nutjob who voted for Obama twice. And so those two parts of my brain had an argument. And the argument was, you have to get out of here. You have to get out. You have to go. Leave now. This is not, you are not welcome here. This is a bad, bad place for you to be. If you stay here, bad things will happen. I don't know what they are, but terrible things will happen. The world will come to an end. But you can't just turn around and leave because they'll think you're a racist. And you're not a racist, are you? No, I'm definitely not a racist. I am so not a racist. I know I've never met anyone here before, and I'm never going to meet him again, but it's really important that they know that I am definitely not a racist. <laughs> I like the Green Lantern. My favorite Green Lantern is the black one. I am so not a racist. <laughs> All right, I need an escape plan. Hey, there's a bar. Go sit at the bar. Have a drink. Finish the drink. And then you're wearing glasses and tight pants, so just get up, sigh heavily. They'll think you're a hipster. It'll all be cool. My escape plan is to be too cool for the strip club. <clears throat> so I, I go, I execute my extraction plan. I go to the bar, I sit down, I have a $9 Miller Lite because it's a strip club. I start watching The Simpsons because The Simpsons is on the television. I don't know why this, to this day, I've never figured out why The Simpsons was on in a strip club at two o'clock in the afternoon. I am about to finish my drink when a woman walks up to me and says, would you like a dance? And my brain said no, but my white liberal guilt said, sounds like fun! <laughs> so she shoves me into a couch and grinds on me for about 10 or 15 bucks. And it was at that point that the song, Welcome to the Jungle, started playing. <clears throat> and she gets up and goes, are you okay? which I don't think is how a lap dance is supposed to end. I said, I thought this was a magic shop. And she said, you're not the first magician we've had in here. 
And then she took me by the hand and walked me to the door. And I am not clever enough to make this up. As we passed the bouncer, she said, we have another Copperfield. She ushered me out of the establishment. I started walking back to my hotel. And then, what happened next was the most humiliating moment of my adult life. As I walked through, the, through downtown Atlanta, the still nude stripper exited the strip club and waved at me like I was a school child. My name is Eric Tate. You guys have been wicked. Thank you very much. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite actor. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.